Hope you're ready for this week's kickass edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. We're five days out, from arguably the greatest Boston Marathon ever. The Dark Sky app says the weather is going to be absolutely amazing. USATF held a meet in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and it was windy as hell. But it produced one of the wildest 1500 meter races we've ever seen. Drama at the Barrowman Track Club. Gabrielle Dell reviews Stafford has left the BTC. Shelby Houlihan has responded. Six boys at Newbury Park have run 902 or faster at Arcadia. But were they a little bit disappointing? And is it time for panic for our thing, Mo? This is LatchRun.com co-founder Robert Johnson, and welcome you to the show. Joined as always by my genetic equal, the former Marine Corps Marathon champion Walter Johnson, as well as Ace staff writer Jonathan Galt. Guys, I was super, super pumped for this podcast. Thinking about all the fun we're going to have. And then devastation struck last night when I picked up my son at the school. Yet another 10 day quarantine. Absolutely ridiculous. Not sure I'll be popping in and out, but I wanted to do the intro. Say hi to everybody. But apparently, someone has tested positive in my son's school, and there's another. 10 days of no school for him. Oh, sorry to hear that you have to deal with that and that your son has to deal with that, Robert. I'm sure based on our introduction, I can tell we're going to have a very reasonable discussion on our podcast today. You saying that a high school team that had six guys run 902 or faster for 3,200 meters may have underperformed and declaring that a 19-year-old Olympic champion, her career might be over after winning a 400-meter race. Can't wait to hear the explanations behind that one, but really happy. To join you here, mile 23 of the Boston Marathon course, I look outside my window. I can see the course right now. It's sunny. The trees are still pretty bare, unfortunately. But the weather is finally starting to get nice in Boston. It's a perfect time to host an indoor trap meet on Friday. And also the world's oldest continuously run marathon on Monday. So looking forward to all of that this week. John, you're right. Great weather in the Northeast. I think Boston, is it the official start of spring for runners? I think it should just be universally accepted that that's the case. And Friday night, yes, John, I will see you in person Friday, Boston Marathon Media Day. Big Friday in Tap for Let's Run. We will recap what all the athletes say in Boston on Friday, on the Friday 15 Supporters Club podcast. Go to letsrun.com slash subscribe to join today. And then open to the public Friday night world record attempt at the new New Balance track. Is that the name? The track at New Balance is its official name. So I think I will be there. I know you will be there. Not sure if I have to come back. It's Easter weekend. I will come back at some point. I'm not sure if I'm coming back before the event or after. But I love Boston. You get to see a bunch of Let's Runners. And spring is definitely here, John. Kicked off the over 40 soccer season. I actually, we, I need an emergency alert. We need to play some music or something. I'm putting out a call to action. Anyone over the age of 35 who can play goalkeeper, you're welcome to join my team. The games are usually in Fairfield County or up to New Haven, Connecticut, somewhere in there outside of New York City. 
we have players come in from Queens, New York. We have players come in from New Haven. But we're in desperate need of a goalie. You speak Chinese. It's a huge, huge advantage. A lot of the guys in the team are Chinese. It's a diverse group. Costa Ricans, me. But desperate need of a goalie. Seriously, email me. But, John, I had the first soccer game of the, uh, on Sunday. We got drilled. Also, anyone got some coaching tactics, let me know. Seriously, as well. We may have gotten drilled in the game, but not all was lost. Special package came to yours truly in the mail. I don't think you guys can see what I'm wearing right now, can you? Below the belt. I hope you're wearing something down there as you're podcasting with us. Well, then. Not pants, John. Not pants. I am wearing the future of recovery. The Therabody Recovery Air Jet Boots. These are the most advanced pneumatic compression system ever created. They were sent to yours truly. If you thought you knew everything about compression recovery, you didn't. Because these are wireless. The pump is built into the units. They're independent. You can take them anywhere. I could be sitting here. I could walk into the other room. I don't have to be tied up to a pump somewhere. have to have it plugged in all the time. Maybe hanging my head after suffering a debilitating to beat in soccer. But my recovery is going great. All the Therabody units have the fast flush technology, which flushes out waste and brings blood back to your legs three times faster than the speed of competitors. Faster means faster recovery. But for me, the game changer, the wireless technology. This is all from Therabody, the makers of Theragun. Check it out. If you ever thought about getting recovery, now is the time to do it. Boston, spring, renewal. Let's do it. You can go to therabody.com slash let's run to get your Therabody recovery air system today. They start at $6.99 or as low as $59 a month. And if you're on the fence, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping. So why not try it out? Therabody.com slash let's run. 60-day money-back guarantee. Try it out like you can with a mattress. Link in the show notes. Wow, those recovery jet boots sound amazing. Not going to lie, I'm pretty jealous that they sent them to you and not me. And I'll just ignore the fact that I was the goalie on our kids, on our soccer team as a kid. Walton hasn't invited me to be part of the team, but. Oh my God, we need this. I've got limited time here with my kids being out of school because of COVID. Can we get to the news of the day, at least in North America, track and field circles? Drama at the Bowerman Track Club. Gabrielle Debus Stafford, Saturday night, puts out on Instagram that she's left the team. This is the Canadian record holder, everything, 1,500 to 5,050 of the Olympics. Says she's leaving. But normally when people leave, right, John? I mean, they list you these sort of boilerplate releases. You never get any details. Not so in this case. Not at all. Yeah, normally it's like, thank you. I'm grateful for my time with Coach X. I'm moving here. I'm going to be coached by Coach Y. Excited to get going. And Gabriella, you know, this Instagram statement, she essentially said that the stress of the Shelby Houlihan situation and its ongoing aftermath, that was a major distraction and it was one of the reasons for her leaving the team and then even more interesting after she posts that segment i get a dm from gabriella on twitter which again is quite rare normally you don't have athletes reaching out to media but if and saying like hey i want to make a statement i want to give an explanation about why i left the team 
But that did happen in this case, and she had a lot to say, Walden. Oh, for sure. I mean, she's becoming one of my favorite athletes. The interview I did with her after the New Balance games in Staten Island was my favorite of the indoor season. I mean, I only went to two meets, but she's just very authentic. She was talking about how she struggled with how she struggles with anxiety. The first race is so hard for her. And then maybe there was a hint of what was going to come. She said, like, the Shelby Houlihan situation almost wrecked my season. So she joined Bowerman at the end of 2020. But, you know, 2021 is her first season. Halfway th- through the year comes out. Shelby Houlihan's tested positive. She was kept in the dark until it was released to the public. And she's like, look, this almost wrecked my Tokyo Olympics. And I was just like, what? Like, I, I was sort of shocked. I'm like, it wouldn't wreck my Tokyo Olympics. I would just focus on myself. But she's being authentic. That's her reality. And I'm like, wow, like, she's different than me. But she was sharing this story. But Jen, John, what she told you was just, I thought, amazing. Like, she went into great detail. Yeah, and I think the most interesting part here is these are questions that fans and media have had about the situation at the Bowman Track Club because it's an open secret that Shelby was in Flagstaff in January when Bowman was training there. We know she's been continuing to train. She'll sometimes post on Instagram you know, her workout or time trial results. But what was unclear to everyone and which no one from Bowman Track Club or Shelby or her lawyer has clarified and still officially haven't clarified is her relationship to the team and to Jerry Schumacher, its coach. Because for a while, she was still listed on the team roster. Now she is not. But it's still, people want to know, is Jerry still coaching her? And is that allowed under the water code? Because it does seem like if you're in some sort of private coaching relationship, that is allowed with certain restrictions. But if you're training as a member of the team, that's not allowed. And what Gabriella essentially said is she had asked for clarification and more of a separation between Shelby and Bowman. And she hadn't received the clarification she wanted. And ultimately, she said, quote, this absence of clarity surrounding the boundaries between BTC and a band athlete is the critical reason for my departure. And then last night or early this morning, Shelby comes out with her own statement saying, well, I'm really upset to hear that I'm the reason why you left. I wish I had known this. I never wanted you know, to be a distraction to anyone else. Uh, I would have told you more stuff if I had only known. I run, it's important to me because of my mental health, et cetera. So pretty interesting you know, developments here. And the message board has been exploding with comments. I mean, I think most of the people that go to the message board on this topic, it's probably like 80, 20. And they're like, Shelby's dirty. Anyone who defends her is terrible, blah, blah, blah. They're very cut and dry in this. To me, it's not quite, I don't know. The vitriol doesn't bother me a little bit, but really interesting story. I mean, I've got some comments on it. I don't know if you guys want to hear them or not. Well, My general thought is I don't really have an issue if Jerry Schumacher, which from the beginning he has maintained, he believes Shelby, he thinks the system is broken, he's going to stand by her. If he truly thinks that she's getting screwed over and he's been coaching her for what, five years, more than five years at this point, 
I don't really have an issue if he wants to coach her in a legal manner permitted by World Athletics rules. But what I would appreciate, I think the whole running world would appreciate and Gabriella would appreciate was, okay, if that's the situation, explain it that way. Tell us exactly why it's, why it's legal. What is the wording? She said that Shelby's lawyers has worked hard with the AIU to carve out exactly what the restrictions are if Shelby is going to continue to work with Jerry. If that's the case, admit it and say, hey, I'm still coaching her because I believe in her. Don't leave everyone in the dark and including, I mean, it does sound like he's tried to provide some clarity for Gabriella, but clearly it wasn't enough in this case for her to feel confident in staying with the group. I think Jerry and Bowerman They've stayed way too quiet on this. If you don't give a narrative to people, people create a narrative for you. So I think that on the PR front, they've handled this pretty poorly. But I mean, maybe certain stuff they can do because maybe the PR stuff doesn't matter. Gabrielle probably would have left anyway because she's like, look, I know you guys are saying this is permissible. And she was, I mean, she has nice comments about Jerry. She says, I have no reason to believe anyone on the BTC is involved in anything like PEDs. I think Jerry is a great guy, and I can't imagine him putting his athletes in a position that he thinks would break any codes or guidelines. But then she goes on, it doesn't matter how much I like or respect someone, or if I believe that they think they're abiding by the rules, I need to personally be able to verify all the relevant texts verbatim to ensure I'm adhering to all code of ethics and anti-doping in our sport. I cannot outsource that responsibility to somebody else. And so she said to Jerry and them like, hey, I need to see what they're telling you. And I don't know if Wada or Bowerman are like, no, we, we're not allowed to sh- share it with you, which to me seems nuts. And she's like, okay, I'm gone. I mean, I, I respect it. You know, she, she seems like one of the most authentic people these days. And it, you know, Nike can't be liking this publicity. It's great, I think. I agree. I respect her decision. I I, I, I like her being open about it. Um, John must love her because not only did she give us all this information, she didn't want it published as a Q&A. She wanted John to write an article about it. So there's a role for journalism still, John, in the day of PR, Instagram statements and whatnot. But um, to me... I've been posting a lot on the message board. This I do think the humanity's been lost. I think her reaction is great, but people are just crucifying Jerry, saying, "Oh, he wants to keep her Shelby around because he wants to work with the doper." I think people are, are not thinking about the humanity of it from Jerry's standpoint. Look, Jerry is doing a terrible, terrible job on the PR front. They're getting crucified on the PR front, but guess what? Jerry doesn't care about PR. He's never cared about PR. I mean, the 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 questions that. The clarity that Gabrielle W. Stafford wanted, the situation is the same thing that Jerry, that, that Jonathan Gull has been trying to get from their lawyers for six months. And it's frustrating that they won't say more. But like when the whole thing broke, people think I'm best friends with Jerry. That's not true. I've only hung out with him like once or twice. But I did talk to Jerry on the phone and I was in the office and it was on speakerphone. It was, I couldn't use it on the, you know, on the record. But John Kellogg, who basically is very cynical about elite running and thinks everybody's dirty. My phone was on speakerphone. He heard the whole thing. When I hung up, he's like, wow, that makes me think they're clean. And I just, I, I feel like if he was trying to win the PR war, 
They could be doing much different things. I think they're afraid about jeopardizing the appeals, but I don't know. Jerry's losing the PR big time. But to me, big picture, does that really matter or not? No. People think, oh, it's not in his best interest to keep Shelby Houlihan around. Think about the humanity. He's doing this despite getting crucified, and I actually think he deserves praise for that. To me, the, this is very simple. Do you think the group is a dirty group or not? John? No, I don't. And Gabriella said as much when she left. She said she never saw anything to suggest anyone was taking performance-enhancing drugs. Right. And people are on the, on the message board saying Shelby's improvement is suspicious. Okay, what about Grant Fisher's improvement? He was a 1329 guy in college. Now he's a 2640 guy as a pro. Or what about Elise Cranny? She was a 1549 girl in college. Now she runs 10K in 3014. Is that suspicious? No, there's tons of people in that, in that team that have improved a ton. And you can either think they're all dirty, which is your right. And I get, if you didn't have any backstory with these people, why you might think just all of track and field is dirty. I do not think that. So I think it's a clean group. Do I think Shelby's clean? I don't know. She could very well be a rogue doper. To me, it's almost not important whether she's a rogue doper or not. Jerry thinks she's clean. He's been working with this group. He doesn't cheat on this group. She's done everything she's asked of him. She's one of his greatest success stories. And to him, this is a great, grave travesty. So he's keeping her around. People think that he's doing it, that he should just cut bait. Uh, to me, it's just a human story. Like, no, you wouldn't want to cut bait. Yes, the smart thing for his team would be to cut bait, but he's not doing it. No, I think, look, the situation, you can boil it down to this, is it could have been handled better and with more clarity from Bauman's standpoint. But I think Bauman... Their athletes have already been subject to more scrutiny and more attention. I'm sure this situation has been a distraction for all of them. But Gabriella, she's someone who's openly admitted she struggles with anxiety. This is already something that she said is a problem. So it's more liable to be something that derails her, whereas other people might just be able to put it behind them and move on. She's already said that she gets nervous with this sort of stuff. So it probably affects her more than it might affect some of her teammates. That's why she's leaving and why some of the other ones might be able to stay behind. And again, I don't want to come across as some apologist for the whole group. I, I understand why the average fan would think all of track and field is dirty. I mean, even Shelby be fooling. I mean, like, I mean, I should we have Sh- Shailene Flanagan, the assistant coach. I mean, she worked with John Cook. It's not like John Cook had a pristine reputation in collegiate track and field circles. This is a guy that faked a DMR time to get his team into nationals. And there's some suspicion that the collegiate 800 record by was the Julius Akon was run from the wrong stagger. I mean, so I just come on, but that's very different from doping, Robert. In fairness, I'm just saying if you're looking for negative and everything, and you want to, and you're a cynical person, and you don't know that, look, people can improve a lot. How do I know that? Weldon Johnson improved a lot. His suspicion, his improvement was suspicious as hell if you look at it, but. You know, the more I think about it, I'm like, okay, people go all in on running 100%. They go high, they live high, they train low. Amazing things can happen. I know it happened with Weldon Johnson. If you take a more talented version of it, could it happen with BTC? Possibly. Could it happen with the Paul Radcliffe? Yes. Could they also, could Paul Radcliffe also be a doper? Yes. Could Shelby Hohan be a doper? Absolutely. But it's not even really relevant to me, big picture wise, whether Shelby's a, a, a doper or not. I, I don't think that the group as a whole is a doping group. Now, I think. I put this post up on the forum. I thought it was one of the best posts I made. 
I couldn't believe it. I had like 44 downvotes. I said something like Jerry should have said something along the lines of, I believe in Shelby Houlihan. I believe she's innocent. We run a clean group. I've never been comfortable with the gray area. I didn't want, once I found out what Dr. Brown was doing, we laughed. I broke up with Alberto Salazar because I wasn't comfortable with what he was doing, et cetera. And then just say, but under the rules, she's tested positive and she's banned. The system is broken. We need to reform it. We need to test the meat supply. And Nike and myself will be leading the way. I'm going to do a $100,000 donation. Nike's going to match that, et cetera, to do something to, but he's reacting emotionally. He's very upset. He feels like she's being screwed. Travesty. So it's just an interesting thing. And I think in the modern world, people forget the humanity of the other side. Republicans need to think, why are Democrats doing this? Democrats need to think, why are they doing this? And it would make no sense for, it makes no sense for Jerry to keep Shelby along other than the fact that he thinks that she's being royally aft and he wants to help her out as a human being. Now, GDS has sort of been lost as a result, but looks like she's got a good setup in Canada. I hope everybody, it works out for everybody. I agree with your thinking, Robert, but I guess a true cynic would say, oh, he keeps her around so she doesn't spill the beans. So you're never going to win everybody over. John looked at me like an idiot. Come on, John. Spill the beans. She's been banned for four years. Like, you think he's, she's got done in Jerry now? Well, he defends her so she doesn't reveal what's going on. If you're running a doping program, you're like, look, I'll defend you. You get to keep training. Maybe you're still getting paid. Who knows? But don't spill the beans. Come on, John. You got to know how conspiracy theories think, man. Say, don't spill the beans. I'm going to keep paying you, but you wouldn't keep her around. You'd, you'd have a train on her own so that you, she wouldn't provide more scrutiny to her. So, I, But yes, I understand what you're saying. When Tom Brady was suspended for Deflategate, the Patriots didn't keep those employees around. They got rid of him immediately. Like, even if you're still paying him, you don't keep him in-house well then. That's conspiracy. That's handling cover-ups 101. Damn it. I, I tried to think true conspiracy theory and failed. I apologize to all the people on the grassy knoll out there. That's a wrap on this week's discussion of the Bowman Track Club. But, well, then we do have more coming on this topic next week i believe oh yeah i think we're gonna save it to next week because of boston but sports scientist extraordinaire ross tucker has analyzed the case for us we'll be releasing that next week once we say it's on the books it's gonna happen next week all right so we got boston on the horizon but i want to talk first about the meet that no one even knew about two weeks ago the usatf bermuda games where a bunch of pros flew out to Bermuda to compete, or in the case of Grant Holloway, not compete. And obviously the big storyline with this meet was the wind readings because it was out of control. It was started off at a 2.5 meter per second headwind for this first sprint final, and it only got worse from there. The men's 100 was run into a 5.6. Jerome Blake upset Noah Lyles and Arian Knighton. It was wild. I. I mean, I guess it was interesting. The times weren't fast, but I definitely came away from it. Well, you know, it was an interesting way to spend two hours watching track and field. I'll say that. I was entertained, John. I'm not sure. Some purists, I think, didn't like it. I mean, like Grant Hallway not racing? As a fan, I was like, what the F, man? You need to get out there. Don't be soft. I'm a huge Grant Hallway fan. But I get it. 
kind of comes back to, right? Our sport is a bunch of preseason meets that don't mean anything until the world championships. So why get hurt? But this was a diamond league meet. You think you would have skipped it? You're probably getting paid a little bit more money. You got to be out there. I assume he still got paid. The people had to be paid by the Bermuda Tourism Board because they were all putting out, either it was the best place ever, but they're all putting out these nice statements on Instagram about how much fun they had in Bermuda. I mean, John pointed this out to me. But look, him not running outraged me at the time, but I totally get it. They're free agents, and it makes a lot of sense in the grand scheme of things. The hurdles is a rhythm race. You want to get your rhythm down, your steps down. He's never going to run a race of consequence almost certainly that is run into a 5.6 meter per second headwind. It's going to mess up the whole, the whole rest of the season. So he's just like, screw it. I don't need the money or anything. They were going to take away the money. I still think they imagined they paid him. So kind of interesting though, but it just shows you the problem with the sport in terms of promoting and marketing it. But all in all, I thought I was happy to see him meet on NBC, happy that it went off. And some of the times are actually good when he adjusts for the winds. If you believe some of these wind readings, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I believe the wind readings. I've seen some of the conversions and, you know, we listed them in our in our article. I'm a little skeptical about some of them, especially like when Abby Steiner, she ran in a separate meet at LSU. She ran 22.38 into a negative 5.6, which converts to about a 21.6, which would make her one of the three fastest humans in the history of the world. I'm not sure if that's right but you know i i thought i certainly thought jasmine camacho quinn running 12 6 7 into a 2.5 that was an impressive performance and the other thing about this meet i mean with the holloway situation it's like a lose-lose here because he's saying oh you got to think of the athletes you need to flip the trap the track and I would say, well, yeah, this is the approach that everyone always takes in track and field is think of the athletes, think of the athletes. And that's why we get record attempts happening at 12.30 a.m. on a Sunday night on the East Coast or all this sort of stuff. It's not always the most viewer-friendly sport. But at the same time, and like also you can't, it's not just easy to just say, oh, flip the trap. Well, yeah, people have paid for finish line seats. The timing set set up is in a specific way. The cameras are set up for national TV meet in a specific way. It's not as easy as it makes it sound, but I also understand. He's saying he would have run if it was with the wind. He said that officially. He was pleading on Twitter to, for officials to flip the track. I think very likely he would have won. I am not a hundred percent sure, but I also think like in the hurdles, you can say, well, that is vent, you're probably gonna get thrown off more than a hundred. Like you can run a hundred into the wind, you're just gonna run a bit slower with the hurdles, it's gonna throw off your stride pattern, that sort of thing. If he's worried about getting hurt, I do understand that. But at the same time, like it's just never a good solution for the sport when the biggest star of the entire meet is pulling out ten minutes before the, the race starts. Yeah, it is what it was. It was a super windy day. You guys are saying, oh, they're being paid to promote Bermuda. Would you guys Okay, you get invited to a meet in Bermuda. It's a great island destination. I'm going there in August. No one is paying me to say this. Would you rather come back to the meet, get invited back to the meet the next year? Or would you rather go to some meet in like the middle of nowhere that's not on national television? I think I would. I I think they probably had a good time in Bermuda. That's all I'm I'm, saying. I'm sure some of them did. 
But I think sometimes, like, this was a very, very obvious that the Bermuda Tourism Authority had put in money for this. The reason the meet was in Bermuda to begin with is Hazel Clark, who's a three-time U.S. Olympian in the 800. She's now the Director of Global Sales and Business Development at the Bermuda Tourism Authority. And they had a whole segment on the broadcast. Basically, it was an infomercial for visiting Bermuda. Many of the athletes were asked by Lewis Johnson afterwards, oh, how great was it to be competing here in Bermuda? And they were like, oh, yeah, it was amazing. And then you have athletes tweeting afterwards. You know, I don't really have an issue with athletes saying that. I'm just going to also call it what it was. Like, clearly, this was kind of a big ad for the Bermuda, for Bermuda and visiting. But look, if they want to put into all this money to promote the sport and to have an a meet for elite US athletes and the condition of that is they have to say how much they love Bermuda. Well, I'd rather see us have an elite meet on NBC. Which I'm yeah, so I'm I'm glad this meet happened. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm sure this goes on in every sport, John, but I feel like running in general, running media, people shill stuff all the time and don't disclose they're getting paid. <laughs> like you're you're supposed to I think there's like FTC guidelines about Twitter and stuff if you're being paid, but whatever. Yeah, well, okay. So I want to talk about some of the races here. First of all, Noah, like Jerome Blake of Canada. Had you ever heard of Jerome Blake before this race, Weldon? This is the winner of the men's 100 for the record. (laughs) No, I was trying to think that when he finished. And I'm like, Blake. But I'm like, no, Johan Blake, not Jerome Blake. So I'm pretty sure I hadn't. I definitely seen his name. He is a member of some of the Canadian relay squads that medal at the Olympics. But if you said, hey, here's a list of athletes and you don't have any bibs or any identifying stuff and said, pick out Jerome Blake, I wouldn't have been able to recognize him. Yeah. I mean, he's built like a tank. You think Johan Blake's kind of stocky. This guy... It's huge. So I'm like, maybe I've, I've probably seen the name on the re, on the relay list. That's a good point. But my theory is he won this thing because he's so talky, stocky. Can he barrel through the wind? Does it affect him less? That was my theory too. Well, then I know people are going to be like, oh, how dare you talk about athletes' bodies? But like, look, if you look at Arian Knighton, who is like a total string bean, and then you look at Jerome Blake, who is much more solidly built, and then you see. I mean, Jerome Blake's run 1006. His PB is actually faster than Knighton, but, you know, Knighton's run a lot better at 200. But, like, Noah Lyles has run 9.8 mid. You know, you would expect, Knight, you know, Lyles would beat Jerome Blake in this race. I thought the same thing, Well, and I assumed, oh, he probably helped him out in the wind. I don't think this result gets repeated in different conditions. But, hey, credit for him for performing. He won the race in 10.38. And I thought Knighton looked pretty solid. And I thought Noah Lyles looked pretty solid. Uh, well, their runs in the prelims, at least. But I'm not going to be reading too much into the outcome here. The one thing I would say is, according to some of these win conversions we got, Knighton, his time would have converted to faster than 10 seconds. It was worth, he ran 10.39 in the final. And... That apparently, according to the wind conversion calculator, is worth 995 in still conditions. No high school athlete has ever broken 10 seconds. If Knighton does it, it's going to be a big deal. So it did get me a little excited for what he can do the rest of the season. That's crazy. So it was worth 0.43? Again, I, I'm not sure if it's worth quite what they were saying. 
because again, I'm going more off the one from LSU with Abby Steiner, but I'm sure it was worth a, at least a couple tenths. Maybe we should have Ross Tucker weigh in. I'm like, hey, how much stock should we put in these win conversions? Because I, I, I used to treat them like they're perfectly accurate to the hundredth. And now I'm a little skeptical, but maybe not. I think Knighton is going to run under 10 this year. And he beat Noah Lyles in this race. I mean, they had the same time to the hundredth, but he beat him by the thousandth. So that brings the question. Who do you like for the world championships at 200 meters? This is crazy that this is where we're at, but Arian Knighton or Noah Lyles? In my mind, one of those two is the favorite for gold. So who do you like? Well, we're just ignoring Andre DeGrasse, the Olympic champion? Yes, I am. Okay, American, well, John. My... <laughs> I'm on record, started this year, saying I think Arian Knighton's going to win the world title. He's 19... He ran 1984 last year as a 17-year-old. Uh, you know, that's just absurd. That's fa- a lot faster than Usain Bolt was running at the same age. And I thought he looked good in this. I thought he looked good in his prelim. I'm still going to pick Knighton. Because I just think his ceiling, as Noah Lyles, we know his ceiling is great. He's run 19.50. You know, he's number four all time. He's the reigning world champion. But Knighton has a Bolt level ceiling. That's That's higher than Noah Lyles. Yeah, I mean, I knew how you think, so that's why I sort of left off the grass. Obviously, he, he should be up there challenging. But I agree with you. Knight looks so raw, too, John. And forget about this not talking about people's bodies. It's a huge part of the sport. It affects performance. I'm going to talk about it in terms of performance. Whatever. But do you... The, the kid's like pretty skinny and wiry. He's like the young Usain Bolt. And as you get older, people naturally get stronger, put on weight. And I wonder what the happy medium is. Because Noah Lyles, he said last year, one thing he struggled with was he started taking these antidepressants and he put on weight, like unnecessary weight. So I wonder if he's put on, he he's not the same guy he was when he was 18. So I, I don't know. I, there's just something beautiful to watch about the young sort of like almost like cheetah like guy sprinting the 200 yeah no what i do night in his times and sort of the he's tall and lanky does, does remind me of bolt um both of those aspects all right so it's gonna be exciting to follow that storyline throughout the season i'm also i was also fascinated by this 1500 did you get a chance to watch the replay of this race well then Replay, John. I watched it live. What great race. I mean, this thing, it started off. And halfway through, I'm like, this is the worst. This might be one of the worst races I've ever seen. I was kind of thinking, I was like, really? Because the rabbit goes off and Robert's new superstar. Kamal Etienne. Thank you. He's the only guy to go with the rabbit. He's like 30 yards ahead of the field. I'm not good with, good with visuals. But he's just way ahead. Super windy. I'm like, this is just kind of like a boring one-man race, right? And then it's super windy. Once the rabbit drops out, 
I don't know, you're getting brutalized by the wind. The field sort of keeps creeping up, creeping up, creeping up. And then on the final lap, they're like, this dude from Bermuda, is it Dodge Miners? How do you say his name? Even I, the pronunciation expert, I'm not totally sure. I would guess Gdage is how I would say it. Because yeah, I guess I could rerun the broadcast, but I don't think they were mentioning this guy this much. This guy had a 345 PR coming in. I mean, he's in this field for one reason. It's because he's from Bermuda. And he gives it a go, John, coming down the home stretch. Well, this was awesome. He said after the race, this was the greatest day of his life that he was in this thing. And I thought it was amazing because I was like, wow, he must be used to the wind. He's in Bermuda because he ran 346 and his PB is 345. That's an incredible performance. Definitely PR worthy if it wasn't for this massive headwind, but maybe he's used to it. But anyway, he looks, I'm like, oh my God, the Bermuda guy is going to catch him. And then the lead is down to about 10 meters entering the home straight. But Miners, the Bermuda guy, he starts, he can't close it any further. But Amos Bartelsmeyer of the Bauman Track Club, he comes around the outside and he's really got his head down. He's booking it. He's closing. And Eddie Yang has this very upright running form. And he just was, he's also a total string bean. He was getting buffeted back by the wind. And I was like, wow, this is going to be a really exciting finish. Eddie Yang looks behind him, sees Bartelsmeyer coming. And he's like, oh shit, I got to get going. So he starts picking it up again. And I'm like, okay, he's just going to be able to hold him off. I, I've seen this before. But then he gets right before the finish line. Eddie Yang extends his two arms out and he's taking his right hand and he's trying to stop his watch as he crosses the finish line. And he's like visibly, this is slowing him down. It's very clear he lost time to do this. And then he stops it right before the finish line, throws it up in celebration. And he barely edges Bottlesmeyer. But it reminded me of Timothy Chariot when he came over to race the World Relays in 2015. That was Chariot's first big international race. Same with Eddie Yang. They're young. They haven't been on the stage. And he's he almost lost the race because he had to stop his watch. Did he, he threw up a number one at some point, I feel like. Was that before the watch stop or after? After. But I'm like, stopping your watch is looking back over shoulder, kind of sprints to pick it up and i thought the same thing like chariot went out crazy fast in the world relays what was it war by 15 dmr dmr and ended up blowing the race but i just remember thinking like this guy is so right and that's not used to doing a lot of these races but he's got to have raced multiple times in kenya Maybe this is just a different stage, but the whole watch thing was sort of fascinating. And then Miners was like, no, this is the greatest day of my life. I thought that's what he said, but I wasn't sure. But then I look up his PBs. You know, to run within a second of your PB in that weather versus one possible super future star of the sport is pretty amazing. He's my let's run.com runner of the week, runner of the week right there. Eddie Yang is a 333 guy who was second in the Kenyan Olympic trials last year. Dej Miners is, I don't know how, where he ranks. He's probably one of the fastest Bermudans of all time. Wouldn't have shot me if he's a Bermudan record holder, but he's a 345 guy and he was about a second behind him. So pretty incredible stuff. But that's what you get. Sometimes like 
ridiculous conditions, you just lead to really, really entertaining races. And it's even more fascinating when you've got a guy. I, I just don't understand. Well, then explain this to me. He stopped his watch well before the finish line. And his splits are going to, first of all, and there's also, he's got a timing system that's timing his splits. And are they even going to be very helpful? The wind just throws everything off. I just, nothing about him stopping his watch made sense. But I can tell you, I, I mean, I'd love if he makes this a brand of his. We just call him Watchman and he stops his, he's like, that's what he does at every race. He stops his watch at the finish line. But I have to think his coach or agent will tell him, hey, uh, next time we'll, we'll take the splits for you. Don't worry about it. All right, guys, I'm back. Who are you guys talking about? The guy everyone thinks I'm a big fan of. We can watch the tape. I'm sure the Kenyan trials. Did he have his watch on there? But it was a wildly entertaining race. I'm just, I got to admit though, since I'm judging high schoolers on their form when I watch a 10 second clip, he didn't look very smooth. It looked like there was a hitch in his stride. I was like, this guy's supposed to be the phenom. So I did change it in a preview. John's like budding superstar. I said, I don't know that he's a budding superstar. I just said that he's a potential. I mean, he's second in the Canyon Trials, which is damn good, but the jury's out if he's a budding star now. Okay, so that's the USATF Bermuda Games. We'll see if it returns. In, well, I guess RJ Wilson also won her opener, but feel wasn't much to write home about. I mean, it's kind of funny if RJ Wilson just goes the whole year without rather ever running like a super fast time. You know, she did it all of indoors leading up to world indoors, and then she finally ran a little quick there. But that would be pretty interesting. I, I guess we're going to find out soon. She's racing a thing Mo at Penn Relays in a couple of weeks. Speaking of a thing Mo, should we talk about her? She was supposed to run the Bermuda Games. Initially, she was announced for it, and then she was not on the start list. And she ended up racing a 400 in the United States instead over the weekend. And Robert, are you worried about her now? In what sense? I don't know. You said at the start of the podcast, is it time to panic? It, it, is, is she done? So I want to know what <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't think I said, is she done? I think I said, is it time to panic? And panic in what sense? She's still a good U.S. runner. She's still a good international runner. But is she as good as she was last year? Will she be as good as she was last year? That is to be answered. And if you had to ask me now, I'm going to answer no to both those questions. She's not going to be as good this year as she was last year. And why is that? Well, first of all, let's talk about the result here. She was running at Texas A&M, and she won the race in 51.75. Second place, it was a comfortable victory. Second place was 52.40. I... I'm re- I'm still not reading anything into this until she actually races someone relevant. She's she's raced four times this year, twice indoors and twice outdoors. She's won three of those four races. The one that she she didn't win, she dropped out in that mile where she was clearly way over her head at Milrose. But she's won all of her other races fairly comfortably. This was some of the wind. There was significant wind in some of these events. The hundred meters, the wind was three point seven. Uh, for the men at this Texas A&M meet. So I don't know how much wind was. It was 4.0 for the 110 hurdles. So I could imagine she was facing a significant back wind on this back straight. But no, she 
look, she's tuning up. Is she blowing people away like she was last year? No. But do I think her talent has just magically disappeared? No. I'm reserving any sort of judgment on a 19-year-old until she actually races someone of consequence in a race that matters this year. What's the phrase I always say, though, about the teenage women? I'm like, talent doesn't go away unless you're a teenage girl. I want to see you PR. I always can't remember if I used to say at age 19 or age 18. Because she's 19 now. Now, I'm not that worried. I mean, like, I didn't know about the wind. But what I pointed out in the week that was, was her slowest 400 at any point last year, including indoors, including prelims, was 51.03. This is three quarters of a second behind it. So just seeing the result, I said, wait a minute. She didn't run in world indoors. Although the mile, I, I was pretty impressed with her fitness, but maybe she's working on her strength. So maybe she's not going to be, maybe if her fitness, if her strength's a little bit better, speed's not going to be as good, and it'll be the same 800. I'm not saying it's time to panic, but I'm just saying like three quarters of a second, John, is kind of a lot. Yeah. No, I thought that was a good observation. Look, I'm going to wait to see what happens when she races RJ Wilson. We know RJ Wilson's fit. That's going to be a very good barometer at the Penn Relays. If they race and she gets her ass kicked, obviously it's time to panic, but pretty much anyone will tell you that. But that is race I'm going to be reading more into, assuming it happens. I'm not going to predict for her ass to get kicked. I'm still going to fake out thing mode to win, particularly 600. But so am I. Putting it out there. Just putting it out there. All right. How about Newbury Park? We saw the Arcadia Invitational was held over the weekend. And the big event, as always, was the boys' 3,200 meters. And what I saw from okay, what I saw from a high school team was frankly phenomenal. I mean, the their top two guys both broke the existing meet record, and this is a meet where many of the best talents, particularly on the West Coast, run year after year. Colin Salmon of Newbury Park wins it in eight thirty four. Lex Young second eight thirty five, and in all they had four guys under nine minutes. So Aaron Salmon was eighth and eight forty eight. And they also had Daniel Appleford 10th in 852. And they had six guys in total at 902 or faster. Leo Young was 902. He was 26th. And then they had Dev Doshi in the B Heat, ran 902. What do you make of these results, Rojo? Look, the team is absolutely amazing. And I want this to be taken the wrong world, wrong way. But John, you and I have had this conversation off, offline this week. Like in the modern world, you can't criticize anybody without people freaking out so let me start by saying the team's amazing they're all-time great i found these results to be a little bit disappointing and just in the sense of i i was pumped by lex young i mean this is the guy that ran 757 indoors i want to know if he's the younger twin it seems like there's a mental block with his brother he runs 757 when his brother's out in the 3000 but then gets spanked by his brother 405 to four minutes in the mile in the race before this but he runs great he runs 835 he's got the lead over colin solomon and if you told me before this race that Lex Young was going to run 835, I said, yeah, that's about right. I mean, his 757 equates to 832. He's going to have competition. So 835, it's outdoors. The conditions may not be as, as good as you know, indoors with no wind. Okay, that's pretty good time. If you'd said that, I would have thought, okay, Leo Young just crushed him in a mile. If, if he's running 835, Leo Young's going to run 829, 830. And then Colin Solomon's going to run the national record. He's going to run 825 or 826. So 
I just found it disappointing because I turned it on at what, 1130 at night on Saturday night, expecting to see a national record attempt. And it was clear at basically the mile that wasn't going to happen. They went out in like 418. Um, so, you know, great race for Lex Young, disappointing race for Leo Young. Colin Solomon's probably tired of having to lead everything. So be interesting to see what they do. Apparently they are going to Penn to run the four by mile. And this is crazy. Weldon put this out. I mean, they really could have four sub four minute milers on the team this year. It's conceivable. You've already got one in Colin Solomon. You've got Leo Young that's run four flat. Lex Young is only run four or five, but he's run seven fifty seven. If you run seven fifty seven, you're generally pretty close to sub four. And then you've got the younger Solomon, Aaron, who ran 148. So, And 801. Yeah, 148, 801. That's got to be pretty close to four minutes as well. So, you know, they're going to have pros to race in this four-by-mile pen. And apparently they've changed this. There's some controversy in California because they had to change the date of the league meet so they could go to Penn to do it. So I think it's cool. People, Some people are up at arms that they changed the date. Hey, man. I think it's neat. This is a, a spectacular team, but they'll have people to chase. But John Kellogg was talking when I was talking to him about this 3200. He wasn't that disappointed. He said, "Look, it's outdoors. They don't have rabbits." One guy ran way off. I mean, not a big deal. But he's like, "You realize how good they are." I mean, he's like, "The collegiate record in the four by mile is 16:03. The pin relays record is, I think, 16:04." He's like. If you add up their PRs, it's 16 on right. Now, normally you run off your PRs in a four by mile, but if they get good weather and they have people to chase, I'd be surprised if they did break 1610. Oh, no, they're not going to break 1610. I mean, that's that's really, really hard. But yeah, look, this, the results on Saturday, sometimes this happens. You know, the first lap was really, really fast, uh, too fast. And Leo, you know, Lex had a bad race a couple weeks ago. Leo had a bad race. This happens. The high school juniors, you know, it's inevitable. You can't be, I think that's what's so, so impressive about Colin Solomon is that, yeah, he's a senior, but he just delivers every time out. 834, I mean, yes, it's not as fast as he ran before, but he still won this race. He's just so, so impressive to me. And interesting thing I saw after the, I was watching the NBA play-in game last night, Nets versus Cavs, and right after the broadcast ends, they have a Gatorade commercial. And who do I? I see this guy running on the beach. I'm like, wow, that looks like a runner. That looks really familiar. I'm like, oh, that's yeah, that's Colin Solomon, right? I rewound it. I mean, he's the Gatorade Cross Country Player of the Year, so I kind of forgot that. I think Caitlin Tui. This happened when he she was in high school too. Like, if you're a Player of the Year in your sport, you can get in these commercials, but. I thought it was, I was like, wow, that's the best high school distance runner in America. He's in a Gatorade commercial and like a big national TV game. I thought it was kind of cool. I wasn't super impressed by him in this race. I think you're giving him the winner's bias, John, in the sense of he's better than everybody else. So he doesn't have to run all out in all of his races and he can still win. When someone else basically, as Weldon says, for most people in a race, it's a time trial. You're running as hard as you can because you're getting beat. So when they run five seconds off their best, it's obvious because their time is slower here. It was kind of obvious because he had run faster early in the year. They've been talking about breaking it three. I'm not saying, look, he might've come away from that race a little disappointed because I'm sure he was hoping to run faster. I'm not trying to say like, Oh, this was like the fastest possible time we could have run. I'm saying, 
he even when he's not at his best, he still gets his it done and wins the race. Like this was a kick over the last hundred. Lex was coming for him hard, and he still hold held him off and won. He didn't have his A game, but he still got gets it done. That's what impressed me about him. And I do like how they try to win. These four guys, they're teammates and they help each other, but they're willing to beat each other. All right, in the women's action. I mean, we could have a rule. We just don't talk about high schoolers. I've gotten a couple emails. You guys put too much pressure on them, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I was reading one of the, I think it's, who's the, who's the celebrity that lives in Dubai? You know, in Dubai, there's a, there's a rule. No paparazzi, period. It's against the law. I mean, I'm fine with that law. If America wanted to have that rule, I don't think people should be taking pictures of random people on the beach. So we could have a let's run rule doing talking about high schoolers, but. Or do we have an age limit? Like you only talked about 16-year-old high schoolers because there was a 15-year-old. Should I mention her name? She set an age 15 mile world record, breaking the record set by fourth from 1979 by Norway's Gunvor Hilde, 436 flat. Okay, I'll say her name. Sadie Engelhart, 435.16. Super impressive. What was interesting to me was when you look at the U.S. high school list for all time, girls mile, there's only one woman that has run that her best time as a senior. And that was actually done earlier this year. Delia Dahlia Frias of California ran 435.06. I would say that's a little misleading because it doesn't include Alexa Ephraimson running 403 in the 1500 as a senior in high school, which I would say is the best is the fastest high school mile or 1500 time ever. And she was a senior at that point. Yeah, I would have changed that then on week that was. Track and field news, I forgot. If you're pro, they don't list you. I don't care. You're in high school. I'm going to list you. Well then, anything to say about Arcadia? We should note, Frias was also at Arcadia. She ran the 50, sorry, she ran the 3200 and won it in 955. Oh, sorry guys. You guys weren't letting me speak. I had turned on my recovery boots. Jet boots. I just got bored of listening to you guys. But I'm feeling refreshed now. Seriously, people need to check this out. Therabody.com slash let's run 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping. So try it out. If you've ever been thinking about doing recovery boots, you can even do them while on a podcast. Guys, you guys have just been ranting on. Like, this team is sick. I want to go back to Newbury Park. I mean, I forgot, like, Daniel Appleford. I'm like, what? Some guy ran 8.52? He's their fourth guy? Yeah, he was seventh at the California cross-country meet. Like, that's just nuts. I mean, you have a bad day. You run 9.02. Wheel Young, in his race before this, ran four flat point seven seven. He has an off day. And he gets sixth place on his team running 9.02 for 3,200. It's just nuts. Oh, we're never going to see anything like this again, except for maybe Newbury Park in 2023, when all these guys, except for Salma and Appleford, retire. You know, so it's going to be no, but it's it's absolutely ludicrous, and the expectations are so high. That's why I'm saying, like, six guys at 902. That, like, I don't care if one or two of them might have had an off day or something. It's still just a ridiculous accomplishment. Can you imagine running? 902 in high school and not being good enough to make your team's top five in cross country. It's re- it's absolutely insane. Also, well, I was doing my recovery. 
somehow I went down a rabbit hole. Fora Duffy, that's the stadium in Bermuda where the track meet was held. She's also the 2020 Olympic champion in the triathlon. Triathlon. Do you guys know where she went to college? Uh, well, you're bringing it up on the podcast, so I'm going to guess Princeton? CU Boulder. So CU Boulder does have an Olympic gold medal in an endurance sport, just it's not one of Mark Wetmore or Heather Burroughs' protégés. After the, I think she did the 2008 Olympics. Didn't go as well as she went. She went to college after that at some point. So I, I had no idea. I was just trying to figure out her backstory. Pretty cool. Well, there's also another famous person that's a CU graduate that's not named Jenny Simpson as well. Maybe more accomplished than Jenny Simpson. I don't have her name in front of me, but one of those all-time Chinese dopers went to see you. One of those 10,000-meter runners. Maybe it was even a 1,500-meter runner. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Are you talking about Wang Jiangshu? I, I don't know which one you're referring to. Actually, I'd like to take that back because I imagine she speaks English. I don't want to call her doper. Person that many people think doped. Yes, the most accomplished Colorado graduate in the history track and field had nothing to do with Mark Wetmore or the CU Buffalo program, but she went to Colorado. Wang Jiangshia. She's our age, Weldon. She's 49. She's the 1996 Olympic 5000 champion, 1993 world champion. Her PRs pre-Super Share era were 29-31 in the 10,000 meters. She went to Colorado for grad school. I did try to look into like if there was any way to contact her a few years ago. She went through a high, she was a big celebrity in China. She went through some sort of divorce. Couldn't figure it out. If you know how to contact, please email me, Robert at Let's Run, Robert at Let's Run, or give us a call. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, you can pick up the phone and call us, 844-538-7786. That's 844-LET'S-RUN. Also, Robert, I don't know if she would object to you calling her a dopa. Do you remember a few years ago, it came out that she had written a letter where she essentially admitted to doping? This was a big news story. I mean, she is still the 3,000-meter world record holder, but come on, I think we all know what happened there. And if you Google Wang Jiangshu, University of Colorado, first thing up, let'srun.com post saying she went to school there for five semesters, but under her full name. Oh, back to Sadie Engelhardt. The reason why I wasn't sure if I wanted to bring up her name was because I was going to give a slight criticism, and I didn't want to... I honestly was going to do this part without mentioning her name but she runs 435.16 the mile as a freshman which is incredible and then she gives an interview and what do you, you guys may not know about this guess what she said in the interview what does every district winner say about it early april march time that they run i still haven't done speed work yet exactly so she says i haven't done any speed work yet i mean do ninth graders really even know if they've done speed work? Like, what's their training history? Maybe she's been running since middle school track. But I thought this is hilarious. Someone on the message board has pointed out that she's raced 14 different races in the last 24 days. So there's been a lot of 400s and 800s. Like John Kellogg always says, the best workout is a race. So she's done plenty of speed work. It's just been races. It hasn't been like, you know, 200s in practice. 
No, Robert, Robert, you're reading this totally wrong. This is a great sign that she's going to make a wonderful future professional because she already knows, say, I haven't done speed work yet. That's a pro cliche. Most pros don't learn that until end of college or their first year as a pro. She's already got that down as a 15-year-old, so I think she's going to be just fine. All right. I think it's time to look ahead. We've got a couple things going on this weekend. Obviously, Boston Marathon on Monday. But I did want to talk about the Mount Sac relays and also the USATF Golden Games, which is part of them. That's going to be happening on Saturday. That's the sort of the pro- that's most of the pro races, especially the sprint races. But there are some very interesting entries in the distance events, which are happening on Thursday and Friday. And I think we have to start on Thursday. Evan Jager is entered in the steeplechase at Mount Sac. And I'm very excited about this because, one, it's the 10-year anniversary of his steeple debut. I remember 2012 Mount Sac Relays. I was there. I made the travel team for Dartmouth. They flew me out. I ran the 10K. I broke 30 minutes for the first time. 29.59. I think I went just under sub-30 to lost 30, uh, the lost 200. Was totally digging. Was exhausted afterwards. But I was also excited because I got to go and I was like, "Oh, I get to wait, see wait, wait, wait." Twenty nine fifty nine, John. That's excellent. Just to dip under. I mean, if you're going to first break it, that's how to do it. It was epic. Well, I was like, I flew out three thousand miles from Dartmouth to come. I did not come here to run thirty flat. I'm getting under this effing barrier. So yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Wait, I too first broke thirty at Mount Sac. 1998, I was out of college. This is crazy. I'm dating myself here. People won't believe this. They don't even know what this is. I was so excited. I think I ran 29.53 or 29.49. And I remember calling John Kellogg from a payphone at a 7-Eleven. Is that, is that, that can't be true. But I swear it happened. I, and then... I didn't break 30 till I got to college and I got fourth in the country 10K twice. Kids, keep dreaming, keep dreaming. I think you probably did call from a payphone. That was the first time I had caffeine before a race, too. Had a little double espresso. We're against doping, kids. We're against doping on this podcast. All right, well, then enough reminiscing about our glory days. I'm fascinated that Jager's entered in this race because remember he, he ran out sack last year. He was the pacer for Sean McGordy and his steeplechase debut, but he dropped out and we did not see Evan the rest of the year. And we know he's dealt with a number of injuries over the last few years. He had the, the foot injury and then he had the calf injury and we've seen him race already this year. He ran a 13, 13, at BU back in February. He made his 10K debut at the 10 in March, but ended up getting tripped in there and dropping out of the race. And now he's running the first steeple since 2018. And it's just crazy because he's, he, look, he's 33 years old. This is going to be a big question mark. I think when he was had that time off in 2019 and 2020, we thought, okay, when he comes back, he's still going to be at the top of the event. But I do think that is a question now. Uh, I think it's certainly possible he returns, and if he's healthy, he's still the best steeple guy. This is the American record holder. It's the best steepler this country's ever produced. When he left in 2018, when he left the steeple, he had gotten 
third in the Diamond League final that year. He had run 801 in Monaco. The year before that, he had won the Monaco Diamond League and medaled at Worlds. The year before that, he medaled the Olympics. The year before that, he ran eight flat. I mean, no American has ever come close to that string of successes in the modern era. And it's just, uh, I'm going to be really interested to see if you look at the people in the field on paper that he's facing Thursday night at Mount Sac, he should win this race. But four years since he lost Steeple, who knows how it's going to look. So I'm really fascinated to see how he does. I'm super excited. I still hold out hope. Maybe I should have, John. It's been a decade since his first Steeple. I mean, how many people excel at the Steeple for a decade? Probably kind of on one hand. But 13-13, okay, it's with super shoes. So maybe it's like a 13-20-something back in the day. It's not terrible. It's not like he's out of shape. So there is hope. And maybe a race like this where he's sort of the class of the field on paper is a good one for him. Craig Nowak is in this race, who's now listed as um, Union Athletics Club. Don't want to say on Athletics Club. So that on paper is probably his main competition. Craig's run like eight. 27 in the steeple, so I don't know. If Jager goes and runs let's say Jager runs 825, what do you think of that? It doesn't do anything for me, but I, I, he's got to, you got to finish a steeple first before we can talk about him getting to 8 flat again. It's it's so interesting. I view this as kind of a, a parallel to 2020, to 2012 when he made this debut at the same race 10 years ago, because at the time we were like, Evan Jager Big talent. He should be one of the best in the country in the steeplechase. Remember, he made the world championship team in the 5,000 back in 2009. So you would think, oh, he's going to be really good at this event, but you don't know how it's going to take until it happens. He won that race in 826 in his debut. And I kind of view it as the same, a very similar situation now. You would say, okay, huge talent, but it's been a long time since he ran this event. He's 33 now. What does he have left? We see what he does. If he comes and runs 825 and wins, I would say, look, if he finishes this race, that's a good first step. That Because that's something he hasn't done in four years. If he wins the race, if he doesn't win, I'm still going to be a little disappointed because looking at the field, you know, unless someone goes out and runs something in the 18s, like if the winning time is above 820 and he doesn't win, I think Jake is probably going to be disappointed with that. But and then if he does win, he runs eight sub eight twenty. Then I'm gonna be like, "Holy sh- oh shit, Jig is back! Look out!" You know, because look, contending with the best in the world, you're still gonna have to be able to run low eights. But the United States, it's not like in Jig's absence, anyone stepped up and really come close to meddling at the World Championships. Uh, Hillary Borg, he was the U.S. champ in 2019 and 2021. He didn't even make the Olympic final last year. He was only eighth in Doha. Jake is still the only one who's shown he can really mix it up with the very, very best guys. And yeah, I know Hillary Bull won a Diamond League, but again, his world championship performances haven't been quite at the same level. So yeah, look, first step he needs to finish, but I think he'd be he'd probably be disappointed if he doesn't win this race as well. But I think it's with like a thing, Mo. I'm not going to judge him totally on these early season meets. I'm going to wait to see what he does against early season against real competition. 
but he needs to get through the early season meet first because that's something he hasn't done in the last few years. The other Bowman Track Club notable entrant in this meet is Carissa Schweizer. She's running the 5,000 on Friday. And she had she had Achilles surgery after the 2021 Olympics. Now she's back competing, which I think is interesting as well. Because, you know, remember Schweizer, remember how good she was in 2020? She ran 14.26. You would have thought after that year, okay, she's going to be the one to beat now in the 5,000 with Shelby gone. And that's not how it worked out. At least Granny actually ended up beating her at the U.S. Championships. But then it comes out, okay, she wasn't totally healthy. She was dealing with this Achilles issue. Now she's back to racing. You know, again, I, I just want to see where she's at right now. I think she's a... I would say she... I think she's a bigger talent in the 5,000 than Elise Cranny. And I know Elise Cranny's run... For, Elise Cranny ran 14.33 this year. Schweizer's P-Bar is 1426. And Schweizer is... Is she younger than Cranny? Actually, I'm not sure about that, but... I think she's the bigger talent, but we got to see if she's healthy or not. So this is another thing. Just get through the race, see where she's at. But surgery, Achilles surgery in October, now she's racing for the first time on Friday. Interesting, John, that you say she's the bigger talent at 5,000. I was thinking to myself, oh, no, she's run faster at 5,000. Cranny's the bigger talent. But Schweizer's now run four flat for 1,500. I just think of her as not fast, and I think of Cranny as a 1,500-meter because that's what she ran in college. But, I mean, they're both pretty good now. I mean, Cranny ran that 30-14, 14-33. But first race back, this is a big one for her. We're, I mean, we shouldn't put too much stock in it, I guess. But, like, if it goes badly and she's hurt, then it's a huge thing. So it's like... There's sort of a certain minimum standard she needs to pass coming back from this injury. The fact she's racing is a good thing means there's no issues with her recovery, you'd think. But, you know, until you sometimes get out there and really test yourself in a race, it's not quite the same thing as practice. With running, less so than other sports. Yeah, it's interesting. They're only four days apart. Schweizer is four days older than Cranny. But look, the thing is right now, we know that Cranny's been crushing training. She's really, really fit. And Schweizer just, you know, she's been trying to get back into training. So right now, well, yeah, Cranny's clearly got the edge over Schweizer. But yeah, long term, I'm not convinced Schweizer's the bigger talent, but just when I saw her first couple of years on the team and also getting that American record in the 3,000 and beating Shelby indoors in 2020, you know, she's, she's a really big talent as well. Just people have to remember that. Okay. Last thing we should talk about, we need to at least discuss the Boston Marathon. A big preview is going to come Friday on the Friday 15, but there are a few storylines we have to talk about for this race. It's the best Boston Marathon fields in history, which helps there's no London Marathon this spring, but a couple big storylines here. To me, the biggest storyline of all is the showdown on the women's side. Perez, Jip, Chia, Chia and Jocelyn Jepkoskai, those are the two women who, after 2021, we agreed they're the best two marathoners in the world. And Jepchichi won the Olympics in New York. Jepkoskai won London. Now they're racing each other. Now, I know Bridget Koskai did just run 216 in Tokyo, so she's clearly still in that conversation. And Ruth Chepengedich just ran 217 in Nagoya. 
So yeah, she's in the conversation as well. But to me, I kind of think the the winner of this race, if it's one of those two, is the you get the title, you know, because no one's been beating them recently. So this to me is a battle for the number one marathoner in the world spot. Do you agree with my assessment, Weldon? I think one of them wins. Yeah, they deserve to be the number one ranked marathon in the world right now. But Bridget Coast guy's pretty damn good. So not you're not necessarily the best marathoner. You, st- you have the, the argument for both being, I think you should be, if there was like a ranking system, well, there is a world ranking system. We all study those religiously, right? The world athletics rankings. We just, <laughs> every week when they're updated, I'm just pouring them over. And, but yeah, you can make, if there were a ranking system that people paid attention to, the winner of this for sure would be number one. If one of them, those two wins. I mean, just great stellar fields because people can't go to London. I mean, it's great for Boston. But Boston's a great marathon. I mean, don't get me wrong, but this year it's it's at another level. Yeah. Well, I think the other interesting thing about that race, so you've also got in the Degatu Azimaraw. And I was talking, I had a good conversation with our agent, Dan Vandenberg, yesterday. And he was sort of talking like, you know, the last couple of years, that Kenyan quartet that we just mentioned, Jep Kozgai, Jep Chirchir, Kozgai, and Chep and Gedich, they've kind of, they created this separation. It was really those four, and it wasn't really a credible Ethiopian threat to them. But now, I think he views things differently because Zimmeror, if you're not familiar, she trains with Yalamzov Yehuelor, uh under coach Tosema Ebshero. They're in the same group. And she was second in London behind Jep Kosgai in October, 217.58. So about 15 seconds back. But he said, you know, she's, she's even fitter since then. She wanted to run the RAK half in earlier this year. That didn't get totally worked out. There were some restrictions that they got lifted anyway. Didn't end up running, but he, the coach thought she could run 63 minutes in that race. And Vandenberg thought she could run about 64 and he said in a flat course right now, he thinks she could run about 216. So he thinks that she's sort of the big talent in Ethiopia right now. Um, obviously, they've got Gade and Yahuwah at shorter distances. Yahuwah is debuting in Hamburg. But in terms of like majors right now, it's Zimmeror. And this is how dedicated she is, Weldon. They know that sometimes Boston can be cold. So she's been getting up and doing her workouts at 3 or 4 in the morning in Ethiopia because that's when it's coldest during the day and they don't want to be unprepared if it's a chilly day. So when I heard that, I'm like, oh man, they are like all in on this race. I, I'm definitely buying stock in Zimmeroar right now. Doing a little dark sky here, John. Looks like the coldest it gets in Ethiopia this time of year is only 55. So may not help her, but the good thing is too bad Robert's not here right now. The weather is just looking spectacular for Monday. Partly cloudy. 46 degrees at 10 a.m. at the start. So it'll, it'll be a little bit cold for Digitu as a mineral, but I think she'll do just fine. I mean, just stellar race, right? Like throw her in the, in the mix. And then I'm like, I'm looking at the start list here and I'm like, wait. Did, and this is... And I'm just looking at an old Let's Run article. I'm like, I know Molly Seidel's on here. I'm like, wait, did she pull out? I'm like, no, it's an old article. And I know she didn't pull out, but I'm, I have to go down so far because she leads the U.S. 
contingent. Sarah Hall is out. Des Linden is in this race. Kellen Taylor is out. But Molly Seidel, her PB is still 224.42. That's just not good in the modern era for an Olympic bronze medalist. But she's delivered in all of her marathons. Yeah, and I just want to give some love. Obviously, Molly has earned that. Edna Kiplagat, 42 years old. She won Boston in 2017. She finished second in 2019 and 2021, the last two editions of this race. So people say, oh, she's tall. They say it every year. She still always performs. She knows how to run on this course. She's a good person at closing people down. So that to me is the interesting thing because all of these top talents on this in this race, none of them have run Boston before. And this is not a race where it's just like any sort of normal major where you sh- or sorry, not normal major because New York doesn't have paces either, but like a normal big city marathon where you're just like, all right, it's pretty flat course. You just follow the rabbits and then 30K you go from there. Like someone could try to take it early if they're feeling big, good and make a big move. And especially the conditions with what we're forecast for Monday, it's going to be good conditions to run really, really fast. But I do wonder because Jep Cosguy and Jep Chia and Azimaroa and even Molly Seidel, because none of them have run this marathon before, they might be a little bit more cautious and they're just going to say, we're going to wait. We'll get to halfway, but we know we've got those hills coming up around 16. We're not going to do anything stupid or try to go out above our head. You know, We're just going to sort of re- play a little conservative and then rely on sort of the closing speed at the end. That's kind of how I see this women's race going. What do you make of that? I think they'll probably be conservative, but when you've three of them have run 217s, are they going to be used to running 225 pace? It might feel so slow for them. Who knows what's going to happen? Does this open up the opportunity, John, for supporters club member Des Linden? You guys need to join the supporters club. Let's run.com slash subscribe for her to pull a bab, go off the front, run away to victory. I mean, well, then honestly, that probably is the be- like that probably is the best option for her, right? Because remember, when Meb won in twenty fourteen, we were saying the same sort of things about this field. Okay, it wasn't quite a stat, but it had Dennis Comedo, who had just set the course record in Chicago. It had Lisa DeCisa, who had just won Boston the year before, and was the world champion in the marathon. And everyone was, I think, I remember. Robert wrote some article for the homepage and he was trying to say, what are the odds an American wins in Boston? And he calculated them. On the low end, it was like 42 to 1. And on the high end, it was like 10,000 to 1 because all these things needed to go right. And Meb got this gap and he ran 208 from the front and no one caught him. And we know Des is not afraid to do something like that because she'll be at the front and she'll run the split she wants to run. At a race this good, that probably is honestly her best you know, chance at victory. But I also wonder if she does that, like, do you think Molly Seidel is just going to let her go? If I'm Molly Seidel and I see Des Linden doing that, I'm just going to be like, I'm better than Des. I'm just going to go with you. But I think that's a fascinating idea, well, then, because it's a very similar situation to Meb in, in 14. Well, it's not going to happen. Um, but if, if we said the odds of Meb winning, you know, or somewhere like, possibly even one in a thousand one in ten thousand yeah okay i'll give her those same same odds of happening i mean it happened once it could happen again but i think it's a this is an important race i think for des because 
how many more times is she going to be showing up at Boston, you know, really competing in, in the professional women's field as a factor? Yeah. I, well, I think she's probably not happy with how 2021 went, right? Because she showed up and she ran Boston, but she was 17th. Clearly didn't seem to be 100% healthy, but she got it out, had to withdraw from New York. That's not how she wants her Boston Marathon career to end. You know, this is her favorite race. I think she just wants to, you know, if she comes out here and she finishes in the top 10 and she gives it a really good go and runs a smart race she can be proud of, I think she'll, maybe that is the last one for her. Maybe she does a little better than that and she says, hey, I'm still running pretty well. I'm going to come back here next year. But I don't think she wants to go out with the 2021 race as her final Boston Marathon memory. So that's why she's running again. Moving to the men's side, you know, obviously Bekele is not in the race anymore. He withdrew, uh, you know, had an injury in his buildup, didn't think he was in shape, you know, good enough shape at this point to compete. So he's withdrawn, but we did get a couple additions. I mean, the big name is Jeffrey Camworo, two-time New York City Marathon champion, three-time World Half Marathon champion. And he, on paper, seems to me like a guy is really well suited for Boston. Just he's good at handling the hills. The way he won the world half in Valencia in 2018 with that massive, like 1305 or whatever it was, 1301 final 5K. Like he's a guy who could really surge at the end of the race and just put people away if he's still in it. The question is his health because we know he had the accident where the accident with the motorcycle a motorcycle hit him while he was training last year or maybe that was 2020 i don't remember it was you know a couple years ago and then he gets in really good shape wins the 10k the kenyan olympic trials 2701 in altitude people like oh my god he's this is amazing he's gonna be a threat in the 10k and then he gets hurt again has to scratch the olympics he's like okay i'll run the valencia marathon gets hurt in that build-up and goes out and runs it, uh, but he doesn't run with the top group. He he hangs back and he runs 205. You know, and everyone's kind of disappointed by the performance because, you know, you think this guy, he's a 5801 half marathon. He should be up at the front of this race. So, but he said afterwards, he was only about, I think, and in a running team, so he was only about 50% healthy for that thing. So if he's healthy, he's an enormous talent. And he's obviously a serious threat to win this race. Some people might call him the favorite, but he just has had these injury issues the last couple of years. And I haven't heard from his agent. I guess we'll need to talk to Jeffrey or his agent when we see him on Friday. But his health is a huge storyline for me going to this race. We need a healthy Jeffrey Kimura. I mean, if he's not healthy, I hope he doesn't run. I don't want to see him at 80%. That doesn't do anything for me. Unless he hangs up there for like 16 miles and makes me think he can win. <laughs> I mean, guys can do that. Not Some of these stars, you know, if you're really good to have marathon, they can do that. And you're like, oh, wow, yeah, he's he's got it. And he's like, no. Afterwards, they'll say like, no, I just was, you know, hoping to give it a go. I'm really not that fit. But this thing is stacked. We're obviously going to have more on it on Friday. But... I mean, John, even 
even completely healthy, this this isn't easy. You got defending champ Benson Caputo, New York champ Albert Career, the London champ Cisse Lime. So the three defending champs. Oh, plus Warren Toronto, plus Evans Chabot, plus Cam Warner. I mean, it's just rare, rare where you have like six guys, and I'm sure there might even be a couple others who Bahanu Legese, fastest guy in the field, two hundred two PB, two time Tokyo champ. Yep. See, see, say Lema is in here. I don't know if I just mentioned him. Like, that's what some of the great things about Boston is like. Maybe Boston in the past, when the fields weren't quite as deep because you had London, you might have sort of a new name breakthrough and win sometimes. You're like, oh, wait. I, I didn't think he was going to win. But this year, you have so many named top pro marathoners. I think one of them is going to win it. I guess the question is, who's it going to be? Yeah, no, I agree with your assessment. And look, they, I mean, they're all running Boston because most of them, they really don't have anywhere else to go. You know, you could run Tokyo, but. You got to get start preparing earlier if you wanted to do that one, and then the other races don't even ha- they don't have the prize money or they don't have the appearance fees that Boston can offer. So yeah, it's it's really exciting. Plenty of different guys in with a shout here, and yeah, you you really you know you never totally know who who's in tip top shape going into this thing. But from what I've understood, Legesse is one guy. I do have some insight on because again, I talked to his agent, Dan Vandenberg about him and he was supposed to run Tokyo or he was listed among the entries. Right. But basically they weren't totally sure about if that race was going to happen. And then he felt like, you know, he wasn't in shape to challenge Kipchoge and ended up withdrawing. And th- does that sound a little crazy? Okay, like who's ever in shape to challenge Kipchoge, right? But I think they went into that race. They're like, look, we want to put him in the best position to win win a race. And if they, they were like, he needs a little bit more time to come along. His training was going okay, but it wasn't what they wanted it to be. So they took the extra six weeks. Now they're running Boston. And he is, you know, they are feeling better about where he's at because he's another guy. He's battled some injuries the last couple of years. He wasn't 100% healthy when he ran 203 in Valencia in 2020. And they said, you know, he had some issues in London last year as well. And the problem is there aren't a ton of great physios in Ethiopia. He has a Dutch physio that he likes to work with who spends some time in Ethiopia. He had to go back home in the pandemic. So he didn't have access to sort of this guy to help sort him out. His name's Shores Shippenboard uh, is the name of the physio. But he's now being able to go back to Ethiopia a couple times to give treatment to Legesse, and they feel like he's you know the healthiest he's been for a while. So if he's on his game, again, 202, those, perform- those wins in Tokyo in 2020 and 2019 were really impressive. Uh, if he's on his game, he's a guy to watch. But again, there are so many other good guys in this field. It's really... You know, it's really hard. I mean, would we say, do you have a favorite? Like, do you think it's Camor if he's healthy just because he's well suited for this course? Or do you think it's one of these other guys? Or do you just think there's really no favorite for this thing? I will reveal my favorite on Friday, on the Friday 15. I need to look at it more. And also, you pick up some stuff talking to these guys and the agents on Friday. So, John, we'll do our podcast live Friday, I guess, after the press conference, right? You and me together from Boston. Yeah, yeah, no, that'll be good. Well, I, oh, live podcast. I guess 
I mean, if you want to commit to a live, we'll record it together at the same time. Uh, yeah, in person. TBD if it's actually live or not. I mean, yeah, and then, I don't know, maybe I think, maybe it's a guy like Lawrence Toronto because he just very rarely has a bad race. Remember, he won Boston and Chicago in 2019. 2020, he got second in Valencia, 203-04. Then last year, he was fourth at the Olympics, and he was first in Valencia in 205-12. So if you had an, an answer for who's the number two guy in the sport right now behind Kipchoge, I think that's probably your answer. I mean, may, I guess maybe you could make the case for Bashir Abdi, but yeah, he, he, I mean, it's just, it's a really, really good field. I'm so excited to see all these guys going at it on, on the Boston Marathon course. Cause it's just, I have that connection being from Massachusetts and living on the course right now. It, I, I see all these guys and you think of them like, oh, that's a London guy or a Tokyo guy, you know? They no, they don't always come to run this race, and just seeing them run through College Corner or through Wellesley College or climbing the Newton Hills, all these great athletes getting them out there. It, it's just really, I get really, really excited thinking about it. So it's going to be a terrific weekend, and I guess. Do we want to talk about the American men real quick? Because they're not going to be contending for the win here, but I feel like it's the same kind of thing, like in terms of the depth we've got here. That's what we said about Meb, John. But sure, give us thirty second overview. We got we got to you know get people on the Friday podcast. Let's run com slash subscribe. Absolutely, yeah. If you want to listen to it, you need to sign up for the supporters club. So do that. Let's run com slash subscribe. But the way I see the American race is there's just you know there's a bunch of guys who could be that that top American. You got Scott Fable now working with Joe Bossard after leaving NAZ Elite. Colin Benny at the Reebok Track Club. You got Jared Ward, who's had these thyroid issues. He's been pretty open about them, but he's trying to get back to his best. Jake Riley, U.S. Olympian. Elkana Cabet was the top guy in New York last year among Americans. He was fourth. And CJ Albertson, who led 20 miles of this race last year. I think any of those guys could conceivably be the top American. And I don't really know how things are going to unfold, but. It's a bunch of good guys, and I'm excited to see how how it all shakes out. Yeah, there's a lot of guys. I mean, even go down further the PR list. Nico Montañez. He just ran. What he win? He won the uh, U.S. 15K champs. Yeah. So I mean, he's only run two thirteen. He was 20th at the trials in 2020. But you would think that would come down though, because he's had a lot of good results and a lot shorter distances. Lots of stories. I mean, C.J. Albertson last year, I mean, going in, you would have thought C.J. Albertson's going to be not the story of the race because he didn't win, but he leads to first, what was it, like 15, 16 miles of the race. He's up by, more than that, actually. He's up by two two minutes at halfway. It was crazy. So you never know what's going to happen to Boston. That's why I love Boston, the hills, everything. It's just so unique and world marathoning, for sure, American marathoning. All right, John. Well, one cool thing and one sad thing to end on. Cool thing. Sam Parsons, Delaware native, went sub four in the mile in Delaware. I thought that was cool. First sub four in Delaware, Delaware soil. I thought it was cool that a Delaware guy actually did it. Everyone's like, oh, first sub four in Delaware. I'm like, no, it's 10 times cooler that a guy from Delaware did it. Yeah, totally. Now we need we need to get Guys, Eric Jenkins needs to go up to New Hampshire and break four there because they haven't done it. And Vermont, I actually don't 
in Vermont, it might take a while for waiting for a Vermont native to do it. But maybe you know, Ben True with his Dartmouth ties can hop across the border for Vermont and do it at Norwich High School or something like that. And then Hawaii, someone's got to go out and break, break sub four in Hawaii. I mean, make this some PR stunt. Say, like, have a shoe company get one of their lower guys and say, hey, we're going to fly out. We're going to run the sub, first sub four in Hawaii. You got a free trip there. Make publicity. I feel like that would be pretty easy to do. I think the really tough one on the states where we haven't seen a sub four before, because there are six of them left, is Wyoming. Because you got, it's just altitude and that's going to be kind of a pain in the ass to handle. Vermont, New Hampshire, Wyoming, Hawaii. Mississippi. What? Yeah. I, All the old Mets guys? Well, here's, here's the thing. They don't run indoor races in at Ole Miss, right? They run them at Arkansas or whatever. And outdoors, they run the 1500. So I think it would be pretty simple for one of those guys to do it. But, you know, you need to have the opportunity. And then the other one is Nevada. or no, So get someone to do it in Vegas. That's kind of crazy. I feel like Vegas... Well, road miles don't count, right? But put it down the strip, have a road mile. Nah, if that doesn't count, you got to have it a track, man. But anyway, yeah, props to Sam. Cool event. Glad they were able to put that on. And then, well, the, the sad news, I assume you're talking about Mark Conover. Yep. Mark Conover, the 1988 Olympic marathon trials champ, longtime coach, Cal Poly. Lost his battle with cancer. Four teenagers. Everyone said just great guy. Sad for his family, everything. Robert's got a little more information here on how you can help out if you want to. Mark Conover, the 1988 Olympic U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials champion, died. Really beloved coach at Cal Poly as well. I think he was in his early 60s. Got three teenage triplets that are age 14. We'll put a link to how, if you want to donate, or buy, they're selling like socks and stuff to help support the family. I've been in correspondence with the woman who's in charge of it. I told me you should just do GoFundMe with a goal. But anyways, put a link to that. All right, John. I will see you boots on the ground two days from now. Friday morning, get the early train from Connecticut. No, I got to drive, John. Oh, I don't understand. If we want to have a train culture, Boston and New York, like those are the two biggest cities in the East Coast, right? Uh, I think Philly, Philadelphia is bigger than Boston. But, you know, well, metro size. Anyway, whatever. The first train gets you into Boston after 10 a.m. The press conference starts at 10 a.m. Like, are you kidding me? Like, there's no train that gets in earlier than that. So I'll be driving up. Race day, I'm coming back. I'm just going to get there about mile five. I'm taking the train because I, I need to work all day on the train on the way back. I can't drive. So that'll be that. All right. Well, looking forward to seeing you and we'll have more content for you then. So until then, see ya. Guys and gals, you didn't get rid of me. I'm still here. This podcast took a while to record. I'm still wearing my Recovery Air Jet Boots. Because they're portable. They're wireless. You can wear them anywhere. Let me just 
try to turn them on even while I'm talking. Oh, you guys hear that? That's the fast flush technology. Flushing out my waste. It does this three times faster than the competitors. So it does the full cycle in like a minute. So you hear the pumping up for a little bit, then you won't hear it. You got to try it out yourself. You have nothing to lose. Free 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to therabody.com slash let's run. Link in the show notes. You can even finance it for as low as 59 bucks a month. See you in Boston.